Welcome to Investor Insights, the wealth management podcast where we address investor needs, help you enhance your financial situation, and explore all parts of a person's financial life. And now, the host of Investor Insights, Mike Williams. Hello, and thanks again for joining us on the podcast. It's Mike Williams. Uh, Today, we're going to call this one shell-shocked. For what? Before I uh, get to that, I want to give you an update. Um... Your member area has several new items in it, along with the recorded copy of the Q1 quarterly conference call review, uh, the latest episode of Listening In, uh, and of course, all of the weekend portfolio updates in your members-only area. Uh, So feel free to send me a note if you need anything on that. So listen, call me a nut, but I remain mystified by how much the news flow does not appear to be matching the earnings flow. Sure, the pace of growth overall is lackluster, but remember, it's cloaked by energy for another two quarters. Most appear to have chosen to overlook this rather obvious item. A grand majority of those reporting so far are beating estimates, and more than expected are even raising guidance. Hence the reference in the last podcast to forward earnings starting to move slowly upward. Barron's this weekend included a survey of what they call their experts to suggest they were potentially sedated when being questioned would not be far-fetched as the lack of enthusiasm filled the air, or should I say page. Seems a thin margin feel bullish, only 38%, and that was mildly bullish, meaning nearly two-thirds are bearish and neutral. By the way, just... For newcomers to this podcast, neutral on Wall Street is German for I have absolutely no clue. Add this to capital flow data and rampant money still choosing ridiculously low yields, and you get the clear sense the world awaits the next shoe over and over and over. It's as though everyone is walking on eggshells. Did I mention that we're now back to within a few percent of all-time highs in the market? Listen, this trepidation is why we have, quote-unquote, a tepid recovery. It's because we are approaching the world in a tepid way. We are driving towards our future in a tepid manner, which is why our economy is growing at a tepid pace. Be that as it may, their earnings updates are pretty significant. They're generally far more positive than they were last year. Many more are beating, and we're getting raised guidance. Okay, As previously noted, results continue to benefit from buybacks. You know, in one of our past podcasts, we talked about borrowing money to buy back stock and the cycle over years that it goes through. It's a confluence of market and debt cycles along with interest rates, that causes these things to happen. With nearly 40% of companies releasing quarterly results this week, the quarter's off to a good start, but it's going to change. We'll see the numbers again next week on some of your podcasts. The year started off at the worst than any decades, we were told. Panic hit quick and filled short-term investors' minds with fear. They were out the door quickly as sellers overwhelmed the place for weeks. 
we had suggested this was very likely in your December podcast as cash levels were prepared. Look, it's never fun to watch, but it's always fun to be prepared. Today, it remains clear that the 08-09 collapse drove significant and deep fear into the marketplace. From investors all the way up to CEOs, it merely takes a week or so of red ink to come to the surface. Cash hoarding is now popular, and so is rabid demand for low-yielding bonds. Heck, France just last week sold a 50-year government bond offering at under 2%, and it was oversubscribed. Now, if you're scratching your head, don't fret. There's a fix. Long-time investors with their eye on the proper horizon know that the fix for fear is higher prices. That's why the crowd always joins the market late. Steadily, as prices have risen back from the depths of the panic we began the year with, doubt, anxiety, and bearishness have all grown with the price recovery. That's fantastic. I couldn't ask for more, except for maybe a spring pause. While the data are flowing in better than expected, I still have this nagging feeling we have another window of opportunity arising. I could be wrong, and the market just fools us by continuing its slow trek upward, this never-ending mountain. But I stand by the idea that if we can get a sell-in-May event and tie it into a summer swoon, all the better. I suggest that because, like we stated in 2012, I get this feeling we're heading towards another one of those periods where we may find significant corrections to take advantage of will become surprisingly fewer and farther between. Bottom line, let's pray for another mini panic. And speaking of panic, I posted the latest Time magazine cover in your morning notes about the U.S. being insolvent. It trotted out the same research that I've read since I began in this business in 1982. In a nutshell, it states that the U.S. is going broke for, well, since it started. It's sort of like saying you start dying the moment you're born. I guess technically that's true, but how bizarre a way of life to live, huh? The point is this. It's always fun to talk about debt levels, but everyone always leaves out the assets. By day's end, there will be a research piece posted in your members' area for review on these specifics. But here's the key. Let's cover two items which notoriously seem to invite continuous coverage whenever we're waiting for the next monster to appear. It's almost as though producers ask their associate producers if there's any panic to report in current news, and if not, the age-old answer seems to be, Quote, well, okay, then let's just do something on the U.S. going broke and how we'll perish because of government debt. So here goes. The debt story usually says something like this. The U.S. government can't afford the interest on the national debt, right? That's one. And pick your monster. China, Russia, Europe, any foreign country will do. Enter name here might sell all their U.S. government bonds, crashing the U.S. bond market and imperiling everything we know in our economy. The first one is always trotted out to scare us when the newsreel is quiet. 
The short answer is the U.S. government can completely control the cost of its debt if it so desires. It could choose, for example, to issue all 30-day paper at a miserably low number of basis points above zero, and investors would still scoop it up. So long as that we're not in an inflation crisis, the main point they'd be looking for is the interest. <laughs> the U.S. government completely controls the cost of its debt by altering the duration of its liabilities and rolling them over. Now, that's not very sexy. I get it. It's not, wow, this is the end of the world, because that will get your attention. But it is the truth. As long as the paper is expected to be repaid at par, and since I started 33 years ago, it's been written about a million times, but never really been in doubt, i.e. the U.S. paying back its debts, there's no reason to expect cash holders to forego the extra interest the government is guaranteed. We all know by now the press too often appears to confuse a solvency crisis with an inflation crisis. One is always a potential threat, while the other just does not apply to us. When you have a sovereign country which has its own bank and printing press. By the way, the gold bugs love the other side of this story. My point is this. Debt of this structure doesn't get paid off. It just grows over time because our revenues and our economy grow over time. It's like if you were running a successful business. Well, when you open the door, you can't go borrow $300 million. But if you build that successful business into a $5 billion annual revenue stream, guess what? You can go borrow $300 billion. $300 million, sorry. Maybe more. Maybe $600 million. So you can look at it one of two ways. Hey, I've either become successful enough to go into debt or, oh my God, I've never owed this much money in my entire life. Both of them are true. Only one is effective to listen to. The second point above, also rolled out often, sounds really scary and catches a lot of attention. Just months ago, for example, the score was something like this. China is going to rule the world and their currency, not the U.S. dollar, will become the world currency of choice. By the way, their currency has been devalued four times in the last seven months. So I think not. I recall hearing the identical language in the late 80s when Japan was buying everything in sight. Note that we bought it all back later at half price or better, and they too did not end up ruling the world. As sexy and scary as the media makes it sound, the U.S. government doesn't rely on foreign governments to drive demand for bonds. Other countries and leading partners end up with our dollars because they run trade deficits and surplus, excuse me, trade surpluses with the U.S. What they do with those dollars is completely up to them. They can, they can choose, realize, they, they get the dollars because of their trade surplus, right? They can choose to leave the proceeds in cash or they can choose to earn interest. If they decide to sell their holdings to forego that interest, then that's their loss. There are other buyers. That won't stop the demand of U.S. dollars on their part. They will continue to want those dollars as a function of their trade with our consumers. 
It's a two-way street. The function is beneficial. Even though it sounds neat to say they might use it as a weapon. Think about it. The reverse of that is they don't trade with the United States. They don't have those dollars and they don't buy those bonds. I mean, who's going to choose to do that? As such, when you pause to think about it, it makes no logical sense to argue that demand for bonds might dry up when the very demand for those bonds comes from the high demand for dollars via trading with us. We're the largest buyer on the planet. In closing, let's be clear, a sovereign currency issuer can default. But the concerns raised in this latest Time article are like the many others we've been forced to read. They're not legitimate concerns. They're taking storytelling and pushing the realities out of context to get attention. And by the way, it works. So listen, I hope these thoughts have been helpful. Thanks again for joining us. Until the next podcast, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.